he watches her with one hundred eyes. Day after timeless day, she grows ever weaker. Blood flows from her fleshless arms into the loam. It feeds the soil from which her children spring. She smiles upon her children. She is dying, yet happy. His one hundred eyes watch her do this, as he swears a vow to save her. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesur, Episode 9, The Pierced Man. tore through the hollow streets of Grinvaldian, and I rushed to meet them. The one nearest to me, I thought of him as the prime, was upon me before I had a chance to think. Bending its piston-like legs, it vaulted at least a full story into the air. Its arm blades were poised to skewer me on impact. My mind was blank for a response, as the sheer number of threats overwhelmed me. If the Prime's attack didn't kill me, the stampede of its hissing, whirring cohort surely would. The combined force of their running left cracks in the stone street. Debris spat out from the reverberation. From the corner of my eye, I noticed a robust boulder dislodge from its embedded place in the street. It left an opening underneath itself, revealing a pothole several feet deep. Instinct took over. I did the only thing that came to mind. I dropped my sword and fell. As the construct fell, I skid across the ground on my knees, turning my body into a roll into the boulder's opening. My shoulders hit the impacted gravel inside the pothole, cutting into my skin. A moment later, my entire world seized as the prime construct hit the ground above. It jostled the boulder, for a panicked moment I thought it might roll back on top of me. In fact, the opposite happened. The ground had barely stabilized before the boulder was hurled aside by the force of the Prime's metal hand. I shielded my face as the Prime knelt down over the pothole. It was so close, I could smell a heavy musk of oil, rust, and electric atmosphere. The singular hole in its orbed head glinted red as it raised its right arm blade up for the killing blow. Primal urges still at the helm, I lobbed an errant chunk of gravel straight at the Prime. I aimed for the only possible weak point I could see, the hole in its chest, made by the circular piece upon which the rest of the construct had been built. The gravel sword cleaned through the hole, or it would have had it not collided against an invisible net of energy within the circle. 
Instantly, the gravel exploded, sending bits of itself searing across the air like shooting stars. The prime was unharmed, but it recoiled all the same, checking itself for injury. It seemed to have been taken off guard by the attack. I noted the sword arm was still suspended just above my body. Pressing what little advantage I had, I leapt to my feet. Grabbing hold of the prime's sword arm, I used it as leverage to hoist myself on top of it. The prime met my eyes with the single scarlet dot in its head. Before it could fling me off, I jumped onto its chassis. The impact knocked the wind out of me. Its chest was so sleek, there was little purchase for me to hold onto. The prime was already starting to stand, and its force caused me to slide off. I was at eye level with the circle for the barest of seconds. With a crackle from my hand and a cry from my throat, I thrust the charged demon's teeth glove into the center of the circle. Light consumed me. I was blind to everything but pain as I struck the hard ground full force with my back. I braced myself for the worst, but when the light cleared, all I saw was the slumped, inert body of the Prime, all sparks and smoke amidst its twitching mound of metal. Unfortunately, celebrations would have to wait. By the time I had processed what happened to the Prime, I was beset by a flurry of flashing blades from a half a dozen of its brethren. The next few seconds were a dance with death. I bent, kicked, flailed, twisted, rolled. Anything to avoid the blades as they sang through the air and screamed towards my body. Mercy came in the form of one of the construct's blades biting into the ground and sticking. I watched the machine jerk its shoulder back in an attempt to pry it free. As it did, three more clockwork knights came up behind me, hoping to land a death blow. I launched forward at the stuck construct. Again my hands grappled with its sleek body. I managed to get an arm around its neck as my electrified touch met the circle in its chest. Light flashed again, only this time I retained my grip on the construct's neck. It stumbled down to the ground lurching forward just in time to act as a shield for the six incoming blades from behind. One, two, three, four, five, six. Each one punched effortlessly through the construct's armor. Copper and brass may as well have been butter to these blades. One of the strikes hit what appeared to be some sort of fluid line, and a thick, black ichor started to ooze from the wounds in its chassis right near a small fountain of sparks. My blood ignited faster than the ooze. As my senses sharpened and my pain dulled from panic, I gripped the still hot rim of the hole in the broken construct and heaved myself through. Fire roared beneath my feet, licking at my legs as they carried me up the sword arm of one of the attacking constructs. An entourage of light, sound, and wind carried me off its shoulder as the explosion fed my leap. Skin fought ground and ground won. I smashed, hurtled, and slid, flesh flaying from my arms, torso, back, and legs. My lungs struggled for air, wheezing from the impact, the pain, and the smoke that now filled the air. 
I looked back at the destruction behind me. The blast granted me some distance from the horde of remaining constructs. They were assessing the situation, searching the flaming pile of twisted metal for any sign of me. It looked as though I had taken out about five of their number. Nineteen remained. Scorch it, I seethed internally. There's too many. It won't be long before they realize I'm not in that pyre, and I can barely move. My eyes shifted down the street to the temple of the pierced man. It was still so far off in the distance. Its practically endless set of stairs seemed to taunt my wounded body. Even if I somehow survived, how in Aiden's name was I to get up there? Out of the darkness of a nearby cross street, I heard a warbling sound through the air. Craning my neck, I saw two rows of three spinning blue circles. Gods, I thought, more of them. I ordered my blood-soaked body to move, to crawl away and hide, but it was no use. I wasn't fast enough, and my chest begged for air and rest. The sound reached the constructs at the pyre as well, and they turned in its direction. I turned away from all of it, trying not to panic as the scraping, thudding sound of the stampede started up again, towards me. I closed my eyes, preparing for the end. I'm sorry, Isolt, I thought, in the faint chance she could hear me. I failed you. The warbling reached me first. Blue light slashed above me, blinding me a moment. I shielded my eyes until it dimmed. Then, I laughed. They were indeed six circular constructs, like the one I'd first seen rolling through the streets. Only these six were bound together like wooden planks for a raft. Circuits and wiring were the rope, and a protruding clockwork apparatus in the center was the sail. The miraculous four stood upon it, reaching for me. And of course, manning the sail was... Quinn! I shouted. How in the pit... You want a story or do you want to live? Quinn barked back. Grab on! I grabbed Doran's hands first. Then the rest of them latched onto my arms and helped heave me onto the floating raft. Quinn wrenched a knob on her device, and the raft veered to the left. As several of the constructs leaped into the air, blades bared, the raft took off with a kick. The ground shook again from the impact of their strikes as we left them behind. The four laid me on my back, inspecting my injuries. The wind stung my open wounds, but felt good otherwise. Exhausted and barely able to believe I was still alive, I struggled to form words. Quinn, Tosca, where? He's losing a lot of blood, Fionn said. There's bandages in me pack. Can someone add them to me? Where did you all go? I asked weakly. That earthquake. We're just as confused as you, Von Der, Quinn said. Tosca and Stormdreamer thought they saw Denarthi and got lured into a trap with all those constructs. As for me, 
As soon as that earthquake happened, you disappeared. Fionn and Doran came down the shaft and we went looking for you. It wasn't hard to find each other, Tuska added. We just followed the sounds of the murderous machines. Even with all five of us, the constructs were overwhelming, said Stormdreamer, placing a hand on my shoulder. I cannot imagine taking that many on by yourself. I am sorry, Vonder. Hear, hear, chimed Doran. When this is over, I say we change our name to the Miraculous Five. Hey, what about the Miraculous Six? Quinn chided. I'm the one who saved all your sorry hides. Doran shrugged. Yeah, but Miraculous Six just doesn't have the same ring to it, you know? We're happy to make a subtraction, Doran. Tosca smiled evilly, playing at pushing Doran off the edge of the raft with her foot. How did you do all this, Quinn? I marveled. Quinn patted the apparatus. It looked like a brass podium made of spare parts which barely clung together. Well, I confess, I had a little help with that. She rotated the apparatus. In the center was a familiar brass orb I knew all too well. Toast! I cried. It cannot bleed, Toast said in response. Toast. What's he saying? And how is he here? I didn't see you take him from your lab. I always carry a backup processor. The constructs here are of a similar make. As soon as I found this guy, she wrapped a knuckle on the new Toast. I figured I could try to use Toast's processor as a kind of keystone to figure out how these things work. I laid back, head swimming. There was so much to take in. One thing was for certain, though. I owe you all my life. Thank you. Don't thank us yet, Fionn said, as she put the finishing touches on my bandages. We still don't know where to go from here. The temple. We need to go to the temple of the Pierce Man. The big one on the other side of the city? Quinn said incredulously. But if we go there, every construct in the city will see us. We have to. Isolde told me. Quinn looked down at me, wide-eyed. What do you mean? After the earthquake, she spoke to me. She must have taken me to the shade. That's why I disappeared. She said the pierced man is Grinvald, the Alzarian god of war. We might find clues there for how to fight Black Sun. Gah! Of course. Just once I want to find the answer in a library or a nice spa or something. Quinn turned the knobs on the apparatus, turning the raft in the direction of the temple. Vondere, did she, you know, say anything else? I pursed my lips, as if to keep the truth from slipping out. It didn't seem useful to tell her everything I saw right now. I was having a hard enough time processing it myself. The idea that, even now, Isolde of the Ebon Mist could very well be dead. No. Just that we need to hurry. I'm getting pretty scorching good at that, 
Quinn declared. All right, then. Miraculous Six Ho! Hey, that's not official yet, Doran began. But then the jolt of the raft propelling forward knocked him down. We all gripped the wires of the raft for support as we barreled through the streets of Grinvaldian towards the god of war. The raft climbed over the final step. We found ourselves standing before the grand stone double doors of the Temple of Grinvald. The entire structure looked like it was at war with itself. Everything looked broken and sharp. Jagged, diagonal metal wall panels interlocked with one another. Rust stains ran like blood. Barbed, twisted metal lined the walls and the roof like a crown of thorns. Etchings of the pierced man were carved into the doors. They glowed with a bright blue light. From down below, we heard the din of the constructs. Scores of blue lights traced the streets, converging into the main road and heading for the temple. Their crunching footsteps found a rhythm, a drumbeat to signal our death. Jumping off the raft, the six of us stared down at the encroaching force. They'll be on us in minutes, Doran grunted. We've still got the raft, Quinn observed. And it doesn't look like they can fly. They'll have to take the stairs up. It'll narrow their options. Agreed, said Storm Dreamer. Enough of us together may be able to hold this position while one or two of us search inside. Fionn inspected the temple doors. Can we even get this thing open? I searched the temple doors. Heat radiated from the etchings. Though I could not place it, I felt a strange aura around the temple. It felt alive in some way. The air around it seemed to flow back and forth, like the soft breathing of something massive. And I could not help but feel as if we were being watched. The pierced man's statue followed us with its eyes, casting judgment. The eyes of the etchings in the doors beckoned me forth. Tentatively, I raised a hand and touched the etchings of the door. Instantly, the ice-blue mark of the ebon mist lit up on my forearm, as did the three red dots of ellipsis on top of it. I am Claude Von Der, I said instinctively. I am kin of the ebon mist and ellipsis. I seek audience with the spirits of this place. A cut ran across my hand. I pulled away from the etchings as they began to move within the door. A sound like swords and whetstone filled the air. It was as though the door was alive, healing and recarving itself in real time. The etchings of the pierced man turned their heads to survey our party. Doran readied his blade and Fionn her wand. Storm Dreamer tensed his wings. Tosca and Quinn, both familiar with this sort of thing, opted to simply stand their ground. Once they finished taking stock of us all, the etchings looked straight down at me. I shall only open for thee, wielder, 
said a booming yet tired voice. The man sounded resigned yet dutiful, a sentry guarding a castle full of long dead countrymen. I looked to the others and saw they had no reaction to what was just said. He's speaking to me in my thoughts, I realized. My friends will die out here if they stay, I replied in my mind. Please allow them to pass, or call off these constructs if that is within your power. It is, but I am not wont to coddle, wielder. If thine compatriots are worthy of life, they shall earneth it through the sword. I take it you are Grinvald, the god of war. The voice did not respond. I pressed on, racking my mind for something that could sway the voice. If you are the god of war, you must enjoy conflict. I can promise you there's a lot of it coming. But if you let us die now, you won't get to see the carnage. A low, sad laugh reverberated inside my skull. <laughs> Centuries pass, and still they offereth me blood. My answer changes not, wielder. Why do you keep calling me that? Enter and know, or remain here with your precious carnage. A silence filled my mind. I got the impression he was done talking. Gritting my teeth, I turned to the others. It's only going to let me in, I said. I had to shout over the mortar-like footsteps of the constructs below. They'd reached the base of the temple stairs and had begun to climb, sending tremors throughout. Then get in there, idiot, Tosca yelled. We can handle ourselves. Just go, Vondair, Quinn yelled, leaping back onto the raft. We'll be fine, as long as you find something in there that makes all this worth it. No pressure, Doran said, clapping me hard on the arm. He swung his greatsword in a moulinet and hopped onto the raft. As long as there is the air and a worthy fight, I am content, Storm Dreamer cried, taking flight. Batlin killer machines in an ancient underground city? Fionn charged her wand and pointed it at the ground below. The earth rumbled at ground level, and roots sprouted up from the cracks in the streets, tangling the construct's legs and causing them to trip over themselves. Fionn looked back at me and winked. For us, love, that's just another Aiden day. I tried to return their confidence in my gaze, but I could not dispel the growing unease in my stomach. Nor could I shake the feeling that, when I walked through those doors, nothing would ever be the same again. Just be careful. I locked onto Quinn for a moment. All of you. I turned away from them, before my courage waned. I touched the etchings again with my still bleeding hand. All right, I thought. Take me in. 
the etchings reached out and grabbed me. The blue energy left the stone doors and latched onto my arm. It felt like being struck by lightning. My body seized up as the energy spread across my entire body. It wasn't long before all I saw was blue light. Then, a deafening crackle filled my ears, and the light faded. Wherever I was, it was not outside the temple. An expansive, octagonal space surrounded me. Sharp, diagonal panels, like the walls outside, protruded from the floor throughout the room, creating a kind of maze. Weapons of every conceivable make were hung up on the walls and encased in glass displays. Everything was tinged with a dim blue, radiating from thin, glowing lines tracing the floor. Again, the pierced man loomed over everything, this time on a pedestal in the center of the room. I was standing in a narrow walkway, created by the diagonal panels. On either side of me were two glass casings. One held a longbow, the other a quiver full of arrows. Each had a small placard at the base. The writing was in some ancient language, unrecognizable to me. And yet, for some reason I felt I could read it like the meaning of the scribbles was being siphoned into my mind from somewhere. The arrows live, read the placard under the bow. They seek the bowman, read the one under the quiver. Denarthi, I whispered. Had he made it this far during his time at Widow's Ridge? Or had it been Ellipsis quoting these words through him? I took a step forward. As if in response, the diagonal panels began to move. Some retracted into the floor, while others erupted from below. They sounded like swords sheathing and being drawn. I flinched, unsure if one of them would come up from under me and split me in half. When it was over, there was a new path guiding me to the leftmost side of the maze. Cautiously, I began to follow it. The path led me to a painted mural on the wall. It stretched across half of the octagon, chipped and faded, but the image was still clear. A man in black robes, covered in masks, standing on a cliffside overlooking a valley. At his side, a frail young woman with skeletal hands. The valley was filled with corpses. It looked similar to the drawing of Widow's Ridge. A multitude of weapons stuck out from the bodies. Another placard hung above the painting. Again, understanding of the language flooded my mind. Flowers for the bride. My mouth went slack appalled at what I was seeing. Thousands dead, for what? A wedding gift? The panels shifted again. The room looked like a practice dummy being struck by a hundred blades. When it finished, I was forced to face the pierced man. 
At the floor around his pedestal, however, there was another mural. A swirling storm of spirits. Their faces seemed contorted in anguish. Their spectral forms clashed with each other, blending and melding together. It seemed they were unable to separate from one another. I didn't need a placard to guess this one. Afraid not, I whispered. As though awoken by my words, the eyes of the pierced man statue blazed blue. The statue came to life and craned its neck down to look at me. Though it was made of stone, it appeared to be suffering from the hundreds of arrows protruding from its body. Thou startest to understand. The souls of the dead. They're trapped somehow. They're suffering. Afraid not. Are you doing this? Nay, wielder. I was born of conflict, not the start of it. I feel the pain of all who die from bloodshed. But you're the god of war, aren't you? If you don't like it, couldn't you stop it somehow? I am a mitigating force. Violence is a powerful energy, and left unchecked, it would destroy everything. For this reason, Zulkin forged me in his godfires. Balance. I guide the spears. I shape the cycles. I feed the horror one day, that it may stay the mortal's blades another. But how can you choose who lives and dies? Where the blade is pointed? Do you feel any guilt at all for the lives you take? I am not the one who takes them, wielder. Your kind craves death. You would snuff yourselves out in a single age, if left to your own devices. I feel no guilt, but I do feel. The pierced man gestured to the arrows in its body. It is my charge to suffer as you do. Our pain is one. Our deaths are one. And what about Ellipsis? Black Sun? Are they your idea of balance? At the mention of those names, the statue's legs moved. The pierced man stepped down from its pedestal. Flecks of gravel trailed its body. Its arms and legs sounded like flint and tinder. I heard a pained whinging from the statue as it struggled to move under the weight of its many wounds. Waving a hand, the pierced man dismissed the maze of panels, opening up the entire room. Scores more weapons and glass displays were revealed. Among them was a display case filled with an inky black substance it looked like a large inkwell, but the ink appeared to move with a kind of sentience. A small whirlpool formed in the center of the substance. It followed the pierced man when it moved, but when I approached, it locked onto me. 
it seemed to grow in size, become more agitated. Black sun, I thought immediately. Perhaps ellipses too. Another part of it, anyway. The frights are weapons indeed, but not of my creation. Their creator is Winvarian, the god of eternity. You seeth his visage in yon mural. He standeth next to his bride, Ilithane, goddess of mortals. I stared back at the mural, at the man covered in masks, and the woman with the fleshless hands. A memory came, unbidden, to the forefront of my mind. Three months ago, the day I nearly died at Bladefang Mountain. In the darkness between life and death, I heard two voices speaking. One with a voice old as time, and another brimming with passion, steeped in the present moment. I also recalled his old telling me of her home, Windengrail. It certainly sounded close to the name of this so-called god. Flowers for the bride, I said out loud. If what you say is true, why would this Winvarian try to throw off the balance? What could make him want to cause so much destruction? The same reason that drives most needless tragedy. Desire. Desire? For Illithane? But I thought she was already his bride. Verily. Yet unlike her bow, Illithane's years are numbered. She giveth her life to fuel the lives of mortals. One day she will breathe her last. And as she passes, so too will all life. But she's a goddess. Our power is not absolute, as thou conceeth. I cannot stoppeth war, and Illithane cannot stoppeth her demise, so long as thy kind lives. So, if all mortal life ends, then there would be nothing left for her to feed. She could live on, with Winvarian. Indeed. I stared at the glass case containing ellipsis. The whirlpool had now consumed the entirety of the substance inside. It railed against its casing, slamming itself against the glass in attempt to escape. Of course, the Alzarians knew not of the gods' plight. When the frights arrived in Exeser, the mortals thought only of their own benefit. Ellipsis was among the strongest frights and thus it was imprisoned first. Their experiments tore it into fragments of itself, that its life force could powereth Black Sun, a living forge, capable of creating any weapon the wielder could desirest. And if I am kin of Ellipsis, does that make me a wielder of Black Sun? Verily, if thou wishest, thou couldst taketh the black sun from yon case, 
and use it as thine own. I considered the pierced man's words. Recollections of my battle with Starsired came to mind. The black tips of her wings, the utter devastation of New Alzar in her wake. Such power was too much for any mortal to have. When Varian must have known this, it was all by design. He knew all we needed was the right push, and we would end ourselves in a heartbeat. All so he could be with his blushing bride. And yet, the temptation was almost unbearable. With Black Sun at my command, nothing could stand against me. I could save everyone outside in the blink of an eye. I could stand my own against Starsired, destroy the Kikte army. No force would dare challenge me. I could protect Exeser from itself, bring peace to the world. I shook my head. No. That's exactly the thinking that took over Starsired and the Alzarians before her. Besides, Isolde would not be able to keep Ellipsis at bay for much longer. I had to destroy Black Sun, all of it, before it could... An idea arrested my mind, stopped my breath, and quickened my pulse. I looked to the pierced man. You say Black Sun can create any weapon, anything I desire, no matter what. Anything thy mind canst imagineth, it will be. My hand touched the black sun case. The black substance swirled hungrily at the glass around my hand. I saw my reflection in its shiny onyx sheen. What about a weapon that can destroy itself? Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand and freesound.org. Questions or comments, email us at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.